As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The last four Sunday nights that I've been preaching, we've been considering the parable of the sower. And tonight we draw these series of lessons to a close. And as we've been doing throughout, we want to make sure, hopefully, each one of us needs to make sure that we're examining ourselves. That we're not thinking this, this is for someone else, this, this, this type of soil is somebody else. Jesus wanted His listeners to think about their own lives in light of, in context, what He was thinking about the kingdom of God. We might just expand it and say, in light of the teachings of Jesus. We've taken the three previous lessons to think about what we might term the three bad types of soil. The wayside soil, the soil along the path, the rocky soil, and the thorny soil. And just to remind us, the wayside soil, the soil along the path, represents people who hear religious teaching, again in context, to hear about the kingdom of God. But for whatever reason, their mind is closed. Their mind is already made up. The message is not really going to change them. Their heart is closed to the message. And their enemy, Satan, represented in the parable as birds, picks the message off. But basically the message never had a chance anyway because their mind was already made up ahead of time. The rocky soil represented those who hear that same message. And the message does take root. But they don't take the time then to remove impediments, those rocks, from their life. And so as soon as some difficulty comes along, represented in the parable by the sun, there's, there's just not enough strength in their faith. And they fall away. There's no real depth to their belief. The thorny soil represents those who again hear the same message, and the message again takes root. And thankfully there's a plant there. But it's not doing what it should be doing. The things of this world are also present in that person's heart, represented by the thorns, and they don't remove those. And so those thorns then choke out the Word. They keep the heart from producing what it really can produce. And tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 13. As we draw this series of lessons to a close, we're going to read the, the parable again. We've said we're reading it from a different account each time. We've read it from Matthew. We've read it from Mark. We've read it from Luke. And you're thinking, there's a fourth gospel. Yes, there is, but John doesn't record it. So we're going to read again tonight from Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about Him, so that He got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, those laying aside stories, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. When you read those words in that parable, I hope you are thankful that there's a fourth kind of soil. As Jesus sat in that boat and taught the people who were on that shore and taught them these many things in parables, remember, Jesus knew the hearts of individuals. And so Jesus knew that represented in that crowd to whom He was speaking, there were people who represented that wayside soil. He knew there were people who were represented by that rocky soil. He knew there were people who were represented by that thorny soil. But aren't you thankful that as Jesus scanned that crowd on that day and knew the hearts of those individuals, that He knew that there were some who were like that good soil. He knew there were some who were represented by this one good type of soil. And it gives us a beautiful way, not just to end the parable, but to end our studies of it. Because the, the parable itself ends with thoughts of joy and hope and the future, because now you have this fruit or this grain, something to go forward. And it's a beautiful thing to remember, that when you have good hearts, you have joy and you have hope, because you have hearts that are receptive to the Word of God. With all that we've studied in the parable thus far, the, the good soil becomes the easiest one to understand. And it may be the easiest one to understand anyway, even if we had never studied the parable. Just reading through it because it is so easy to see a seed being planted, a plant growing up, and producing something. That's as natural as the day is long. But I want us to think tonight about the good soil under three observations. Hopefully each of us thinking about ourselves and then having made those three observations, I want us to close the lesson and the series by making two takeaway points of application. First of all, in thinking about the good soil, notice that the heart is prepared. And this first point may not, not be clearly as seen in the parable as, as the other two we'll talk about tonight, but it's implied in the parable, and depending on the translation you have, it's actually easier to find. In the parable itself, we read in verse 8, Jesus said that other seeds fell on good soil. And in the explanation that Jesus would give of the parable, if you're in Matthew 13 and glance down at verse 23, you'll see He said, as for what was sown on good soil. But some of you have some different translations that actually get more to the point. The King James Version and some others, the text actually says, instead of the word on, that it fell into the good soil. Now, the original word translated on or into is a generic word. It can mean either one. In fact, it can mean several other things as well. But the word into, I think, conveys the point, in part because of this progression that we've seen throughout the parable from hard soil to something that sort of works to something that sort of works a little better to now soil that's ready to do something. The seed may have landed on top of the soil. You might recall when we began the series, we talked about how oftentimes, especially in grain fields at that time, they sowed the seed and then tilled the soil. So the, the sower may have just thrown the seed out there. But the soil, it seems, was so good that the, the seed just went down into it and began that germination process that would produce fruit, or as Jesus describes it here, produce grain. Now here's a simply stated point, but it's one that each of us needs to always have in our minds. You don't become good soil overnight. I wish I could say you did. For one thing, and make my job a whole lot easier. But also just simply make the Christian life a whole lot easier. But for soil to truly be good soil, it takes time. Any gardener or farmer, whether growing flowers or grain or vegetables or whatever, they will tell you 
that it takes a long time and quite a bit of work and effort and thinking to have the right kind of soil for the conditions to grow this particular type of plant and to have as good of a harvest as possible. And the same is true when it comes to being that good soil, that good heart that is receptive to the Word of God. Before we talk about how the soil was ready, that is, how the heart was open, we need to consider that it's going to take work for me to have the type of heart that's even ready to hear and receive the Word of God. But what does that take? We, we, can, we can make a long list if we wanted to, and, and probably depending on each individual and different circumstances, certain things might, might mean more to you or might make a bigger difference. But let me share with you three ways that each of us need... Excuse me, three things each of us need to do to prepare our hearts, but they actually are implied in the parable itself. One, we must be willing to hear new information. Remember the wayside soil, the soil along the path? They didn't want to hear this information about the kingdom of God. It, they heard it, it went in their ears, but it just went out the other side. They were, they were not going to really listen and really evaluate and really think about, should this be what I follow? Now, I am not suggesting that just because something is new, it has to be right and has to be accepted. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. But we need to always keep in mind that when we hear new information, we have something to compare it against. So we should be willing to hear that information and think about it in light of the Word of God. Also, and connected with that, number two, we must spend time in the Word with the reason of deepening our faith. Remember the rocky soil? What did that represent? It represented those who never really took the time or made the effort to deepen their faith, and because of that, they could not handle it when persecutions and tribulations came because of this newfound faith they had. But even before we become good soil, we need to realize that we will not stand strong if we're not deepening our faith. Let's do everything we can to spend time in the Word, not just to learn a verse here or there, not just to say, well, that's a good piece of literature, but to deepen our faith, prepare our heart for hearing more. And then three, we must put our sole focus on being that good soil. What did the thorny soil represent? The thorny soil represented people who basically tried to have it both ways. They put the Word of God in their hearts or allowed it to be there, but they never removed the things, the thorns, that they would choke out that very same Word. Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 24, that you cannot serve two masters. And I know in the context, He's talking about not being able to serve God in money or things, possessions. But the principle is true across the board. It is impossible to truly serve two masters. The Hebrews writer will remind us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we need to lay aside the sin and, and the every weight that would hold us back from being able to run with endurance the race that's set before us. And that's not to say that we can always avoid temptation. Or we, or that there's never going to be an allure to certain things in this world. But it is to say that we must be willing to put in the hard work of removing those things when we see them creeping in to choke out the Word, to take the Word away. So our sole focus then is on being a kind of soil that's ready to hear the truth and listen and grasp it. If I'm willing to do those things, then when I read God's Word or hear it taught or proclaimed, my heart is ready. But there must be preparation. Before I open the Word of God to read it, 
or as I read it, am I praying for understanding? When I'm getting ready to go to Bible class, when I'm teaching or going as a student, am I praying that I'll learn something, that I'll get insight into something I just didn't know or something that will help me to be more faithful? And the same should be asked if I'm getting ready to hear a sermon or a lecture or something else. There needs to be preparation of the heart. And it needs to be the fact that I'm going to try to take every distraction and remove it so I can truly listen or truly read and truly study what God would have me to do through His Word. The heart is prepared. And, number two, the heart is open. Once that heart is cultivated, Jesus says in Matthew 13 and verse 23, this is the one who hears the Word and understands it. Now if you look at Matthew chapter 13 at that explanation, this stands excuse me, in stark contrast to how we began this whole series of lessons. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 19 about the wayside soil, Jesus had said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. And you may recall if you were here and we talked about the wayside soil, we spent some time on that concept because at just first blush, it may seem a bit cruel to say, well, one's not good soil if they don't understand. But recall that in Matthew 13, verses 11 through 17, Jesus explained why he spoke or why he taught in parables. And it really came down to one vital factor. Some will be willing to listen and think more deeply about these stories that Jesus was telling, and others wouldn't. Others would just hear a nice story or hear something that might have had some philosophical meaning, but no real kingdom, biblical, religious meaning. In other words, some did not understand for the basic reason that they did not want to understand, at least not at a deeper level. But now we come to the polar opposite of that. The good soil represents people who still hear these challenging things, but who do want to make, have them make a difference in their lives. And they may not fully understand everything at first, but that's their desire. They understand because they want to understand. And they want to grow in their understanding. We've mentioned a few times that Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record this parable and, and the explanation of it. And there's a little different wording here and there. But when Luke explained had Jesus' explanation of the parable, in Luke 8.15, this is how he recorded Jesus saying it. As for what was in the good soil, they are those who hearing the Word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That little phrase in Luke 8.15, honest and good heart, sheds so much light on our thoughts of being the good soil and having an open heart. I once heard a preacher say that we need to make sure we got the order of Luke 8.15 correct because he suggested that a heart cannot be good unless it is first honest. Now, I'm not sure if that's the case or not. It's an interesting way of looking at it. But if that's true, how can we know if our heart is good or open? Well, we must be honest. We must be honest about a few things. For example, we must be honest in admitting that we have sin in our lives, or at least that we are often tempted to sin. If we're not honest about that, then we're not going to dig into the Word of God or be excited to hear it preached so I know how to have those sins removed, how to be more sanctified and more prepared to serve God. Also, we must be willing to admit that we don't have all the answers, at least within ourselves. We can't be like that wayside soil and think we just have it all figured out. We must be willing to admit that when it comes to my soul, when it comes to salvation, 
There are many things I do not understand, but thankfully God does, as revealed in His Word. And we need to be honest in admitting that Jesus is the only answer. In the context of the parable, again, from the wayside soil, not willing to hear about Jesus, not willing to hear about the kingdom of, of, of God, that's the overall context. You and I, most likely, don't struggle too much with the kingdom concept. That may not apply to us very much. But no matter what I might struggle with, or no matter what it might be that I have trouble understanding, Jesus is the answer. And I need to understand that the answer is not human. The answer is not in philosophy. The answer is not anywhere else. Jesus is the only one through what He said, what He did, and what He gave, that is the rest of the New Testament, for the answers of our lives. And I think we see an example of that in those Christians at Berea that Acts 17 and verse 11 described as more noble. That verse describes them. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Now put that verse back in its immediate context. What's going on? Paul and Silas were teaching these people who were Jews, but Paul and Silas were talking about Jesus and about a cross and about this church idea. And it would have been a major shift in their thinking. But these were good soil people. They realized... They didn't have all the answers, even though they had followed the way of God under the Old Testament, likely for their entire lives. But when they heard this new teaching, they didn't just throw it out, but they also did not just accept it because someone with some pedigree came and told them something that sounded authoritative. Instead, they looked at the Scriptures, examined, literally means they carefully investigated if what they were being taught by Paul and Silas was really in agreement with what God had said through the Scriptures. That's an honest and good heart. I, I really don't question the sincerity of so many religious people around us. But I do get concerned, very concerned, when I try to talk with people or have conversations with people online or something, and we begin to talk about why we do certain things in religion, and, and their, their answer is something like, well... Our pastor says, or something like, our, our church teaches, or maybe the worst is, I just feel like. Our only reason for doing anything should be, the Scriptures say. That's it. But it takes an honest and good heart to be willing to deeply examine teaching in light of those Scriptures so that we can understand and then obey what the Lord would have us to do. But when someone does that, the result is the beautiful end of the parable. There is a harvest. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. In other words, hearts that hear the Word and let it take root, and who remove worldliness and let the Word of God dwell richly in their heart, they produce a harvest for the kingdom of God. Now some have asked over the years, what is the grain? Or what is the fruit? What's the yield? And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't try to explain it. Even in the explanation of the parable, He doesn't say the harvest represents this. Even in the explanation, He just says basically they yield a harvest. So what's He talking about? There are some who suggest that the harvest is the fruit of the Spirit. Because obviously you have something like a harvest wording there. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we think that way, then the harvest is a proper attitude, a proper life that just grows up, that just wells up at that honest and good heart. We might simply say that the fruit is a strong Christian life, a strong Christian disposition. I think that's a possibility, but I think that's secondary. I think the primary is soul winning. That's certainly what most people consider when they think about the parable of the soul. The Word of God and what it has done in our lives leads us to then seek to bring others into, again in context, that kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. And some will bring many, a hundred. Some will bring fewer, but still many, 60, 30. It may, by the way, not be either or. It could be both. Because to be a soul winner is going to require the fruit of the Spirit. Some question though, why are these different numbers there? Why some 100? Why some 60? Why some 30? I don't think the significance is in the numbers themselves. In fact, keep in mind that Jesus doesn't say, some yield 100 and we're going to praise them, but some only yield 30. They're pretty terrible. That's just not what He does at all. The key is not in the numbers. The key is in the production. The fact of the matter is, some will have more opportunity. Some will simply reach more good and honest soil. Some will have skills that happen to, to reach out to someone else or to, to more people than others. That's fine. But the key is that all who have that honest and good heart, all who are that good soil, are doing what they can to grow and to produce for the kingdom of God. And how beautiful that is. And so as we draw this lesson, as an entire study to a close, I want us to consider two major takeaways of application. And as we said several times already in this study, think about yourself as we, as we go about these. Not in a selfish way, but by way of application. Takeaway number one. If this parable, as we've just said, has something to do with soul winning with evangelism, then our job is to be the sower in the parable. To sow the seed of the Word of God, as we just sang a few minutes ago. It's almost like David read the bulletin or something to know what we're going to talk about tonight. Paul would later write, in question form, that one cannot hear unless someone teaches them. Romans 10 and verse 14. You know, to, to get a yield, to get a harvest of Christians, at least three things must be present. First, there must be that honest and good heart. You must have someone to be taught. Sometimes you're even called prospects or whatever, but someone to listen. Second, there must be the seed. Luke 8.11, the Word of God. And again, let me say, that is all that we are to share. We have no right to change the message. We have no right to water down the message. If you want a particular vegetable in your garden, you plant seeds of that particular vegetable in order to get, get the harvest at the end of the season. The same is true if we want unadulterated Christians. We need to preach and teach the unadulterated gospel of Christ. But if all there is is a heart and a seed and no sower. How sad. Someone must teach. But I want to remind each of us also of something that's not on that list. And something that Jesus never talked about in the parable. And it's not a primary point of the parable, but it's an important one. We are to be seed sowers we are not to be soil testers. 
Jesus never condemned the sower for being so dumb as to put seed on rocky soil. Jesus never condemned the sower for being so foolish as to throw out some seed on the path. Jesus never condemned the sower for how ridiculous it was to put seed where there's thorns. And I'll just speak for myself. How often do I notice the quotation marks just know that somebody won't listen? I don't. Our job is to sow the seed, not test the soil. The Word will test the soil. Takeaway number two is the overall takeaway from the entire study. And in reality, what I hope you've been considering throughout not just tonight's lesson, but each of the four, and that is to ask myself, how receptive is my heart to the Word of God? It's really easy as a Christian to say, well, obviously, I'm the good soil. I mean, I'm here on a Sunday. In fact, I've been here four Sunday nights here. i got to talk about nine verses for four sermons. Obviously, I'm good soil. Am I really good soil? When I hear the Word of God proclaimed, even if it's about a subject that, that may not be of great interest to me in the moment, am I thrilled that I'm hearing the Word of God? Do I do all I can to remove distractions so I can listen or read the Word of God? Am I eager to listen? Am I eager when I see something in Scripture that, does not con- that my life does not conform to, to change my life to fit what God's Word says? Or do I just say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with what I want to do, so I'll just do it. See, there's a huge difference in showing up and in being good soil. The reminder of the entire parable, the reminder of four sermons is actually really simple. And it boils down to one question that only you can answer for yourself in light of the Word of God. When the seed of the Word of God is sown in your heart, what type of soil does it find? Only you, in light of Scripture, can answer that question. Tonight, are you answering that question in a way that says, you know, I want to be the good soil, but there's some stuff I've got to change. Then listen to me very carefully, and the lesson will be yours. If that's you tonight, be thankful that you have a God of second chances. Just because you're not good soil right now, God will forgive you and help you if your desire is to be that kind of soil, that kind of heart, that loves and takes in and obeys the Word of God. And maybe tonight you need us to pray with you, to ask for courage, ask for encouragement to do better. Or maybe tonight you've never become a Christian at all. But you've heard the Word and you want to obey it. You want to become a Christian. 
We'd love to baptize you or to study with you further. If you don't really know what that means, that's fine. We'd love to study with you. We'll take you only to the Word of God and seek to do what He said, what He tells us to do through it. Whatever you need is tonight, will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.